This week, we sit down with head football coach of St. Xavier High School right here in Cincinnati, Coach Steve Speck. Coach Speck was an underdog in 2004 when he took over the program and has since went on to win four state titles. So with that, let's get into it with Coach Steve Speck. Coach, appreciate you taking some time this afternoon out of your busy schedule to join my myself and my partner Kyle Decker here uh, on the Underdog Podcast. Uh, Calvin, I appreciate you guys having me on. I really do. It's uh, it's an honor. And anytime guys talk about high school kids, I'm all in. I'm all in. Absolutely. And I was thinking, you know, Coach Specht here, you know, legendary coach. I told him that one of the best, if not the best in the country. I'm going to throw that out there. I thought he, you know, was his good luck charm. He won the, you know, region four finals and I was like, he better bring something or give me something. But he actually did. He gave me his fourth and redemption book before he left. So I can't even hold that over his head. So anyway, I thought uh, I read your book. Love it, by the way. We're going to give you a little publicity here. If you haven't read it, go get it. Fourth and redemption by by Mr. Spectre. So a little, little curveball up front. I didn't tell you about uh, you, Mr. Blackman. You, you didn't. You didn't. If you haven't read the book, though, please do. Um, you know, it's definitely a great story in, in the journey of, of the of the championship season and then obviously just learning a lot about coaches philosophies and different things that we'll talk about. So, um, but with, with that coach, you know, with all of our episodes, you know, we, we highlight, you know, kind of that underdog moment that, that our guests have had. And as Kyle mentioned, congratulations on, you know, the 2020, you know, state championship, your fourth state title, you know, you're nationally recognized by your peers and by, you know, other coaches as again, one of the top in your profession, um, but we want to go back to, you know, 2003, 2004 time, you know, when you were, you know, just taking over an organization, um, which had not yet won a state title. You guys have been a runner up, but being a young man taking on a role as a head coach with a program that was doing well, but was not nationally recognized yet. Can you take us back to, you know, the day that you learned that you were going to become the head coach and then also what your mindset was going into that role uh, as a, as a new leader. Wow. You're taking me down a trip down amnesia lane. It's 2003, <laughs> 2000. It, it's funny because I'm, I'm a St. X alum. I graduated from St. X in 1986. I had the privilege the honor of coming back to teach in my alma mater and to coach under my mentor, Steve uh, Rasso who had been the head coach at St. X for 26 years uh, before he retired and, and I ended up getting hired. It was interesting. I, I was going into the interview, at least I thought it was an interview with Pete Boylan, who was our athletic director and, and father, father Dye, who was our president. So we have this meeting scheduled and, and I've got, I'm loaded for bear. I have all my portfolios together and I've got my suit on and, and I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm ready. I'm loaded for bear. I'm ready for this interview. And I'm sitting in the office at four o'clock and the interview was supposed to be at four and look at my watch and it's 4.15 and nobody's there and it goes to 4.30. So I take all my stuff and I'm walking out of Pete's office and here comes Pete running up the steps. He, he had been working out. He's sweating. He has a t-shirt on. It's soaked with sweat. And he looked at me and said, hey, what are you all dressed up for? I said, I thought I was doing an interview with you. And he looked at me funny and he started laughing and he's like, oh, my God, 
that was with Walter too, dying. I said, well, I, I, I must have my, he said, no, let me grab Walter. And he gets Walter and Walter had his headband on and he had been working out. And I'm thinking, <laughs> am I, what a, it's like the twilight zone. Well, he called me into the office and, and Pete said, well, Steve, he said, we, we didn't communicate well with you. Um, we wanted, we were offering you the job. He said, we didn't think we had to go through the interview because we known you. And they, so I'm thinking this is the craziest thing in the world, but it was, for me, it was uh, a dream come true at the time. I was young. I had an opportunity to lead my alma mater and, and it, it was like being bequeathed the keys to the kingdom. It wasn't like I had to build anything. The, the product was already built. We had been to, you know, three state championship games came up as a bridesmaid all three times, but you know, the mission is the mission. It's a great mission. Steve Rasso developed a great program and a great culture. And, you know, I just didn't want to screw it up. And that was my deal is how can, how can I get out of the way and let these great kids and great coaches do their jobs? And, and I was very blessed. So I don't know that I, I necessarily have built anything. I think I tried to take a great product, a great institution, a lot of great kids, a lot of great people, parents. And anytime somebody asked me about developing a program, I said, just get buy-in from the parents, have community support, develop great kids. And along the way, you win a few games. And we've been able to do that over the past few years. And, you know, God willing, uh, St. Axe will bring me back and, and we'll be able to continue to develop great kids. And that's really all it's ever been about for me, Kyle. I'm sorry for the, the long-winded answer, but it's uh, I've been very blessed in my career to be at a school I love with great kids, supportive parents, a supportive community. It's, um, it's really the perfect storm for Steve Speck. Now, are you, what would you say your leadership philosophy is because that's something you know you took over as you said something that was already in place but at the same time you know probably still having to earn the respect and then being able being able to sustain that so to you know 2005 you guys do win your first state title and now you're the man at the top of the mountain being able to stay there you know and, and keep a program at that level and compete what would you say is was your was your leadership philosophy, and how did you really develop that? I think my leadership philosophy is is based on mission. I don't think there's any other way to do it. You have to have a purpose that's that's bigger than the game of football, in my opinion, Calvin. I think that the mission of St. Xavier High School, developing men for and with others, is one of our mottos. You know, it's always mission-based. I, I try to focus on what's best for the kids. How do we, another Jesuit motto is strive for the modest. There's always more. How do we push kids to understand that we want their personal best and every day is an opportunity to break the glass ceiling and get a little bit better. When you don't think you can get better, let's break that ceiling and let's get better. And it's all based on personal improvement. You know, God's, as we tell the kids, God's given you a gift in you. Your gift back to him is what you do developing you. And, and that's the mantra. It's never about wins and losses. I could care less. People ask me, what, you know, what was your record? What's your record, coach? I said, I'll tell you in 30 years. I'll let you know what my record is when we see where these kids are 
I talked to Thomas, one of my past players, Thomas Hurley, on the phone today. He's got a little two-year-old boy. And just hearing him talk about his son with so much excitement about the Christmas holiday coming up, well, I know what my record is by looking at Thomas Hurley. And I think that at the high school level, there's no other way to, to look at developing a program other than what are your kids doing 20, 30 years down the road? And are they giving back to the world? And if they are and you played a small role in that development, then then I think that's how you develop programs that are positive and sustainable. I think the uh, it's easy to have a, a state championship run. It's hard to sustain state championship type kids year in and year out. And really that's the focus for us is mission. Develop the mission every single day and the wins will take care of themselves. Yeah, and you call it the long blue line, right, Coach? And, and, and I think that's one thing you see is – how many successful people, like you said, coach, that come through and I've not from Cincinnati, but when I come here and we have some folks inside of our organization that, you know, come from St. X, the passion of that long blue line and what it means to come from St. X high school. And that's a lot of high schools, not just in Cincinnati, but across the country, how important it is. As we talk about student athletes and coaches like yourself that are developing for the next generation to impact others. So can you talk a little bit about Obviously, you're on that long blue line. You played there under uh, the guy who actually forwarded your book, Coach Urban Meyer. I think he said, uh, let me pull this out. I found this kind of funny after I started to get to know you. Uh, you got a fire in your belly, um, he said. So I know you got a little fire in you. And, you know, As you've said, as you progress throughout your career, that fire might not come out as much, but it still comes out. And uh, you're, you're competitive, but you're team first. So can you talk about, you know, it's a kind of a twofold question here what it's like to be part of this long blue line and then how you've developed of, of mentors like Urban Meyer. Well, yeah, boy, Kyle, that's a great question. I, I think being a part of the long blue line, the way I always like to look at it is anytime that you're willing to sacrifice part of yourself for the success of a team. And I don't care what the team is. That's a pretty powerful, uh, a pretty powerful thing. And the long blue line, and I challenge our kids every year, is it's always what should it look like? If a member of the long blue line comes back and sees a, a football player in the classroom or in the weight room or on the practice field or in community, what should they see? What should it look like? And that's a powerful motivator to me is when our kids know there are 17,000 plus members of the long blue line that are going to watch you on, whether it's on Chatterbox, you know, Kyle, with you, you doing the game or on Spectrum TV, what should they see? And it's upholding the standard. I think in life is more important than anything is there's, there's a standard in where our expectation is for you to meet that standard and then exceed the standard. That's a powerful motivator. And I think I learned that through my coaches. I was very, honored and blessed to have played for Urban Meyer, was my position coach when I was a senior at St. Xavier High School. And I have watched, obviously, I've stayed in touch with Urban over the years through recruiting and the game of football. And to watch his success, it was no shock to me or to anybody that played for him because he was, you know, difference makers when you meet them, especially coaches. Kyle is a player, Calvin is a player. You know the coaches that have such a profound impact 
on players in different ways. And Urban was one of them, even at the young age of 21 years old when he coached me. Um, you know, part of my drive is to, to get to the Urban Meyer standard. That standard of excellence, whether it's at the collegiate level, uh, the professional level with somebody like Bill Belichick or the high school level, somebody like Chuck Kyle who's won 11 state titles, the pursuit of excellence, there's always that guy, you know, whether it's Urban Meyer or Nick Saban, whether it's uh, a Chuck Kyle, whether it's a Bill Belichick, there's always a standard of excellence, that gold standard that I think any young person should aspire to, to say, that's what I want to be. I want to push myself to be the best I can at my trade, whatever it is. So when we get back to the long blue line, Kyle, I always think of it as we want to challenge these kids to become that gold standard. And if you miss, you know, it's that, that old cliche, look, I, I'm shooting for the stars. I, you know, it's um, the, the poem, uh, the poem that deals with, you know, a man's reach should exceed his grasp or what's a heaven for. Yeah, exactly. I don't care if you, you shoot high, if you miss, you're going to miss high. And I think that's the one thing I love about teaching these kids and coaching these kids at X is we're teaching them to shoot high. And if they miss, boy, they're missing awful high. And, and you love seeing the success that they, they achieve, even when they're not hitting their goals, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And I, I was telling uh, Nick, who works with us on that long blue line, I said, how do I become part of this long blue line? You adopt people or how do I uh, make this thing happen? He goes, well, there's only one way <clears throat> you can send your kids to the long blue line. <laughs> so <laughs> I said, uh, you know, so I, I'm all about it. Have you ever been to St. X camp? It's, it, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. You visit. I'm a back, GCO but, guy. Well, well, Dayton GCO, I don't know, but Shamanad, you know, Julian. Yeah. Well, that's, that's absolutely. debatable. But man, is this place incredible? I mean, I took my first trip down there uh, this past year, but it's it's not Granville. It's, yeah, it's no Granville Blue Aces, but um, no, it's uh, man, it's it's uh, I was it was laughing. I was like, man, I want to be part of this long blue line. You know, I got to figure this thing out. You guys adopt people? He's like, nope. You got to send your kids there. I was like, all right, I got to start working on this right now. So. No, it's a great tradition. Some of the players, you know, you've had some, you know, from uh, you, we talked a lot about the, the faith in the football piece, um, sticking on the football piece, coach. I mean, obviously Luke Keekley, Rocky Boyman, great names that are out there. Obviously you've had a tremendous other Sean Clifford, who's at Penn state, the list and the list goes on. Um, someone that we wanted to, cause we we're something you and I didn't talk about coach. Luke Keekley's known as being one of the best linebackers in the game of football, right, at the NFL level, at least in my opinion, what makes a guy like Luke Keekley behind the scenes, you developed him as a young man, you know, what was his leadership, what was his DNA, someone that wants to learn what makes someone sustain excellence of a player perspective, what would you say about Luke? Well, Luke was on a totally different planet than, than any of the other kids that, that I had personally. The closest that I coached before that was Rocky Boyman. It was a, that's a great comparison. They both played free safety for us and then went and played in uh, linebacker in college in the NFL. But Luke was so focused and so single-mindedness of purpose. Uh, at the high school level, he studied film he wanted to know everything there was to know about the upcoming opponent. And he was different from that standpoint. Most 
most high school kids that you coach, they're worried about, you know, who they're going to take on, get a date to the dance. And my God, I have to study for this algebra exam. Luke was entirely immersed and focused in the game of football. And he prepared himself differently than anybody I had ever coached. Uh, but Luke also was one of the few people I've ever met that could flip the switch. Uh, Kyle and Calvin, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Off the field, very unassuming. Yes, sir. No, sir. He wore these wire rim glasses and had this big, you know, bushy hairdo and Guy, coaches would come in recruiting and they'd look at him sideways and they say, that's the guy. And I'm, I'm telling you, coach, this cat, this cat is different, <laughs> but he could, he would help, you know, he, he's the kid that would help your grandmother across the street. And then as soon as he stepped on the field, he, he played the game violently the way it's legally, but violently. And I've never coached a kid that was able to flip the switch and go from one extreme to another like Luke Keekley before in my life. He was just a different, different type of kid. Yeah, you know, you had a great player this year, Matthew Devine. And how important, like you talk about from a leadership perspective, and we can, we can relate it from a business perspective, but in sports, how important it seemed like you had like getting to know your team this year and the year like you wrote the book in 2016, um, what makes a team, how important it is to have leadership in your players that hold each other accountable? Well, it's everything. It's everything. And people ask you, oh, you're a pretty good coach. Well, I'm a really good coach when I have really good players. That's, a, I mean, that's as simple as it gets. But from the leadership standpoint, leadership is everything. Culture, you know, people, I talk about it in the book is when do people talk about culture when it's bad they don't talk about it. when you have a great culture then it's it's like what's great leadership it's when they're six when a organization is successful and they feel they've done it themselves that's perfect that's what a, a, in my in my world perfect leadership is simply that when kids or an organization has success and they feel they've done it themselves but we had four great captains. I will throw this at you guys because I thought this is this year was telling. Liam Clifford, Maddie Devine, Gio Albanese, and Gabe Du Bois were our four captains. And you couldn't have picked four more different kids. And what was interesting for me to watch was the different segments of the team that gravitated towards each captain. Gabe Dubois was very quiet, a very unassuming young man, and there was a group that gravitated to him. And Matty Devine, our middle linebacker, was bang the table, jump up, up and down on it, follow me, guys, I'll lead you to the promised land. There was a group that followed him. Liam Clifford was a, I'm going to work harder than everybody on this team, and you're either going to jump on my bandwagon or not. And there was a group that gravitated to him, and God love Gio Albanese, our nose guard, all six foot, 290 pounds of it, was a, a happy-go-lucky guy that, hey, this is a game, guys, let's have fun. And there was a group that gravitated to him, but they both, all four of those kids had a focus on what they wanted to accomplish. And they all bought in. And what they ended up doing was police their own team. And I've always said it, if it's, it's my program, I was asked to steward the program, but it's the seniors team. And as long as the seniors police their team, I say, we have a chance to be pretty good if you police it. 
if I have to police it, it becomes my team and we're not going to be very good. If it becomes mine, good luck, guys. You're just not going to be very good. And those guys took the ownership. And in this pandemic and what these kids were expected to do and the rules they had to follow and the sacrifices they had to make to make it a reality, those guys did an unbelievable job of leading their team. And because of that, they won a state title. I mean, they were a very talented group of kids, but the reality was that senior class took the ownership. They took the leadership by the horns and, and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, and I think the one thing that I saw was the belief in each other, and I think that goes a long way. You're down in games just like you were in 16. You're down in that that region for final, and you just saw some of these big plays in the fourth quarter. They just believed in each other. When we met with Coach Speck, he said how close-knit group they were, and I think in any championship team, there's a lot of good teams that get to a certain point, but if they don't truly have that love and belief, I think that's really big. We talk about a lot in our company. How do we create that? What are some ideas, Coach, that are tangible takeaways we try to you know, provide our listeners each episode to build culture? Is there anything you could recommend, whether it's an exercise or a strategy of how, how do you develop that? I think in my experience, Kyle, and you know, I spent some years in the business world. I've been, in, I've been an educator. I've been an administrator. I'm in development now. Trust is the number one factor, in my opinion, of any successful team or organization. You have to trust everybody involved in the organization. You got to trust them to, to worry about your own best interest. And I think developing that trust is simply predicated on getting to know people, uh, getting to understand that people are going to support you regardless. We have three, you know, our three rules, love one another, be the best that you can be and lean on one another when times get tough. Well, you're not going to do that if you don't trust people. And how do you learn? Well, seniors, they need to learn the freshman's name. They need to learn a little bit about the guy that's sitting in the locker room next to them. And there's a lot of different ways you can cultivate that, cultivate that in the off season. I love watching our strength coach, pull these freshmen up and say, okay, here's your, here's your responsibility this week. You have to learn the names of four of your other freshmen that you've never met before. And, you know, little things like that go to building trust. Um, I can't trust you if I don't know you. And if, if that's kind of, in my opinion, everything important about building positive culture is developing that trust. And you can't trust people if you don't get to know them and you don't share in a common goal. I know our common goal this year was to get progressively better as a team individually every single day. And they held one another accountable to that. And if, if everybody's on the same page and nobody cares who's getting the credit, you can accomplish an awful lot. Yeah, and I think you have a leadership council. We saw that too, like with different uh, volumes of people in different grades. I think it was like six seniors, four juniors, and like two sophomores. And I found that as a, a you know, uh, not every team does that. You know, that was something I hadn't heard for a while of the diversity of that council, which then provides, you know, the depth within that, uh, within your organization per se, to have different inputs of different, people at different stages of their journey. So I thought that was something too. Yeah, I think that ownership doesn't just fall on the seniors' hands. 
You know, they have to guide the ship, but you have to have buy-in from the junior class, the sophomore class, and the freshman class. And if they don't have a voice, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to expect them to buy in if they don't have a voice. So that was kind of the purpose behind the the council. So I have a question, and you've kind of hit it. You've touched on it, you know, just through some of the questions that Kyle asked. But I believe, was it the 2016 team that was 5-5? and Yep. So we talk about culture being when it's bad, that's what people want to talk about when things are good. It's leadership. You have a five and five team. So you're, you're having a mediocre season. A lot of times, you know, you're going to get to the playoffs, but you're not going to be able to overcome that. What would you say brought that team together? What was, what allowed that five and five team, which may have not had all of those things going for them that you just talked about may have had a lot, some of the negatives going, but what brought that team together that helped you guys get over the mountaintop? Because I believe there's probably a lot of businesses who have a mediocre culture or leadership, and it's getting over that hump of trying to figure out what's that next step that's going to get us to, you know, what quote-unquote the promised land. Well, that the 2016 year was a process. We underwent, and part of the reason I wrote the book, we suffered more injuries than I've ever suffered in my entire career in one season. We lost, I think it was four offensive linemen to season ending injuries before the year even began. I mean, it was just, they were decimated with injuries. It was a very talented group that just suffered a lot of adversity, whatever. But what happened was as the year went on, you saw a lot of young kids growing up, a lot of young kids that were forced into roles that they quite honestly weren't ready for at the time, but they embraced the roles. We had a group of seniors that understood the need to lead, so they embraced that role. And as the year went on, you could see the team growing and becoming better. I mean, when we got run rolled on national TV, week one to St. John Bosco out of LA, probably arguably the best team in the country. And they just physically destroyed us. So it's like, okay, where are we going to go from here? And here's a team that's decimated by injuries. They got run rolled on national TV and the entire season was a process. And you could see them growing and developing. And we kept saying as a staff, if we could just sneak into the playoffs, who knows? Because these guys have gotten progressively better. Young kids grew up, took some leadership. It was an entire team effort. And boy, when we did sneak into the playoffs, what a fun ride because nobody expected anything. We kept reminding the kids how average they were at five and five. And that kind of stoked the fire a little bit. But in the end, you you take a kid like Sean Clifford, who's a tremendous leader, and Chase Wolf, who was a tremendous leader. And they both played quarterback, but they both played that year because of injuries at different times. And, and they really led a group of, it was, we called them a group of ragtag kids that nobody expected much out of. And to win a state title and double overtime was, was just icing on the cake for that group of kids that, that overcame so much adversity. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I'm just sitting here thinking as a coach, I'm almost like speechless thinking about these teams. I'm just visualizing because I wasn't there in 16. Obviously it's kind of somewhat part of the journey this year, but just how do you, 
you know, just trying to understand how you built a program Four state championships and arguably the best state in the country for high school football, in my opinion, once again, people would argue California, Georgia, Florida, Texas, Ohio's right up there, in my opinion, if not one of the top. You've won four state titles in the largest division of football in this state in 16 years. How have you sustained the greatest conference in the greatest <laughs> conference? Yeah, GCL. Well, his buddy Tom Bolden, GMC, might have a little it's bit okay. of uh, okay. a, a bone. To I got Coach there. Specs back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Calvin. No doubt. <laughs> Darth Bolden might have a have a you know he might be getting a phone call here. Um, but how have you? Let's talk about before we kind of get to the to hot questions here at the end of each episode. But sustaining excellence, Coach. We like to talk about how have you sustained excellence because once you reach that quote unquote promised land. And I think any leader, whether it's Urban Meyer, as we talked about, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, how have you at St. X High School created that atmosphere of moving on to the next season and then going right back at it? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, one of the one of the things I talk about in the book that I interviewed Coach Meyer on, he makes a point that he said, you know, building a program is sheer fun. It's just so much fun. He said, sustaining a program or maintaining a program is fatigue. And I felt that that was a very interesting comment. I, I don't know. I, I like to think that we have a process or, you know, like Nick Saban's always credited with the process. And he always says, I don't even know what the hell the process is. So, but we have a standard that we try to follow. It's uh, again, a standard of excellence that, that we expect in the off season in the preseason in season. And we don't deviate from that standard. Um, let's, let's face it, Kyle, you know, as well as I do, you're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with, whether that's being a high school student or a CEO of a company or a head coach of a high school football team. I try to surround myself with a coaching staff that is second, second to none. And uh, my strength coach, Terrell Williams, who I think is the best in the business. In the offseason, I know these kids are going to be held accountable to the standard in the weight room because Terrell Williams is the best at his trade. You know, it's, uh, I'm not a very smart man, but I'm smart enough to know I need to hire people that are a heck of a lot smarter than me so we can sustain that level. And I think that's what it's about. You have a you have a standard. You hold the kids accountable to the standard. The parents know what the standard is, and they're they're on board. the The community, the administration buys in, and that's how. I, I don't know that there's any other way to do this because the season's so doggone hard in and of itself that the work has to come in in the off season from so many different places, whether it's the weight room, the classroom, these kids have to be adhering to the classroom standards. I could go on and on, but I think that that's the only way to maintain success in this world is to set the standard and, and push yourself to meet it and exceed it on a daily basis. Yeah, and you walk into that St. X weight room, that Teague, right? You call him Teague? Coach uh, Teague. Just Coach T, he, he's the real T. deal. <laughs> he's the real deal. So I got you in the bottom screen, you see Sarah and Tiffany. These are all my health guys. You can tell it's not. I got to get Teague in my life. He doesn't listen. <laughs> I got, they say diet's what, 80% of the, the yeah. problem? Can Teague, <laughs> I yeah, 100% of you. Teague might not be able to help me on that either. But uh, no, in, in, in just talking about as we head into, like I said, these last questions, but the 
the coaches that come through your office, a lot of people that don't know, you know, at elite high school football programs like St. X, you have, as you mentioned, you got a guy at, at Clemson. So you got Dabo Sweeney, Urban Meyer when he's here, Ryan Day, James Franklin, obviously who's had some of your guys, you know, the best of the best come through your office, literally sit in that office where I was at with Nick and, and, and sit there and you talk. Right. And, and so what of all those guys I just mentioned and David Cutliffe, Cutcliffe, who is a great coach at Duke. Um, I know he's a close friend of yours of all those guys. What is something you could share as a common leadership trend of maybe the best of you seen in something that maybe, you know, someone might not know about some of those guys. I'll say this, the, the one characteristic that I find really intriguing about the guys I love that I've seen so much success with is when they come into my office, this is the conversation. It's mm -hmm. about life in general. It's not, none of these guys are so just hardcore. It's football only. These are guys that get to know your family. They, they will ask, uh, I love Zach Taylor, whom I, who I, I love Zach. And Zach, when Zach was the offensive coordinator at the Bearcat for Cincinnati, he was recruiting my youngest son. And this is just a quick sideline to the kind of people that, that are in this profession. When, when Zach was hired as the Bengals coach, uh, I, I called him and I, I was going to congratulate him on the hiring. And his first question was, hey, Steve, where did Cameron end up? And I thought, you know, I'm calling you to congratulate you on the Bengals job, Zach. And you want to know where my son ended up. That's that's those people care deeply about the people they come into contact with. And I don't care if it's Coach Franklin, who I think is a phenomenal human being at Penn State or Dabo Sweeney, who's unbelievable or Urban. My, they care about their people. And that's the common denominator. It is an X's and O's because guess what? We can all X and O. Uh, I don't care what level. You know your X's and O's or you're not going to be here. It's the can you get that kid to run through a wall for you? Is, is that kid going to go the extra mile? Is he going to trust you enough to do the little things to take care of the big things? And that's the common denominator I've seen with all the great ones is they care about their people to a fault. Um, and I love that about this profession. Love it. Wow. Powerful, powerful. Well, let's get, uh, we got some hot, hot questions here for you. I don't think they're too hot. Um, your buddy, Mr. Van Zyl helped us out and, uh, Calvin as well. So why don't you kick it off? Um, what do I want to go with? I'm curious to know. So from the time school lets out and before you have that first meeting with your players on a Friday night, what is your ritual? So is there, is there anything special you do for maybe, you know, that three o'clock hour to, to that first team meeting of, you know, maybe five, five 30. What does coach Speck do between that time? Now, I've got to qualify this question from three o'clock until when five 30 before what meeting? Before you probably really in, you know, before the players or you probably uh, maybe before you, you hit the locker room, I'm trying to remember how high school football goes, uh, you know, before you really engage with the players, okay, let's, let's start to get our mind right. And, you know, here in six o'clock, we're going out on the field, but you know, just what is after school's over, you know, what, what do you have anything particular you do anything special? You might eat music you listen to. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, actually what I usually do at that point in time is, 
is I'm meeting with our team chaplain to go over the, we always have a faith focus for every week and it's a little bit different. So this, this may be a little lame, but I like meeting with Paul Reesom and our team chaplain as we go through the, the faith focus for the week. And he always has scripture pulled out and we like to brainstorm the focus because I'm a firm believer that, that everything that we do with these kids has to start with a faith focus and that we go right to chapel visit before practice. And then at the end of the final game, we end in prayer. So it, I think it grounds the kids on why we do what we do. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's that's what I'll be doing before that first meeting with the kids is making sure we have the good focus for the week. That wasn't lame at all. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was such a, a Coach Blackman question, by the way. <laughs> He's, this is this is all these hot questions. That was a hot. That was just a informational. It bit, was. But, it was. But that it was powerful. Was. I, I actually, you know, that's that's uh, maybe I should do that before work. <laughs> you need to be a focus. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! What is your favorite part about Friday night or Saturday, wherever you're playing, right? Game time. What's what's your favorite time about going out on game day? Wow, that's a great question. I, I, I think the my favorite part before game day is right before the game when I meet with the kids in the locker room. Uh, there's always, for me, there's always something sacred about the locker room. And, and you guys have been there, so you know what that feeling is. And to, to talk, you know, to meet with the team, we'll pray, you know, we'll pray the Our Father together, the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll we'll talk. And that moment for me is incredibly sacred. It's very spiritual as we prepare to go out and, and, and battle. Um, that, that part of Friday night is really, it's special, it's different, and being a part of that, it never gets old for me. I played for Jim Place, and that I, I remember he he did, would do the same thing. We'd pray the Our Father, and and then we would have that talk. And that's something that friends of mine who I played with in high school we still talk about to this day because that moment right there, you know, is there, you only get so many of them, and and those moments, you know, just they they're sacred because only a handful of people really get to ever experience those moments. So, yeah, it's awesome. Um. So you went soft on these questions. You went soft on Coach Speck. All right, let me let me get let me give one in here. This is a selfish <laughs> one. Let's let's see here. Well, I, I gotta you know I, I really respect. There's two two coaches here in Cincinnati. For those that don't know, this is a little bit of a Cincinnati question. There's there's a really good coach up north who we faced off. Don't know where this is going with Bolden. Uh, uh, Tom Bolden's a great coach. I was gonna say who would win in a arm wrestling. I think Bolden would get you there. I think you would get. You would outrace him because you're a lot faster. So I'm trying to think here. Uh, what, I guess you can throw baseball. I've been told you were a pretty good baseball player. I don't know if that's true or not. And Tommy, Tommy was too. So, yeah, Tommy. So maybe who's a better who would who would tow the mound? This is a baseball question. We'll take two football elite coaches. Who's a better pitcher? You get up there, tow the mound. Who's who's striking out? Who? Uh, he's not striking me out. I could, I could, I could swing the stick. Um, I couldn't pitch though. That's a problem is okay. I could never get, I could play the infield, but I could never pitch Tommy would have the angle on me there. I will say that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he still has the weights. It looks like too, man. He, he, uh, the long hair, you tell you what, you got to tell him that he's got to chop that hair. I, I don't know. It's, he's got this whole look, this guy, he has hair down to the shoulders. That's what Coach Bolton looks like. Yeah, he's a uh, legend. Yeah, he's like a wrestler. He looks <laughs> like he should be in WWE. So, 
<laughs> I think this is a good question. Yeah, go ahead. I think this is a good one. So you always remember, you know, people always say, you know, what's your most memorable win and whatnot. But they always say, you know, the losses are the ones that usually sting the most. You know, in the 16, 17 years, you know, that you've been doing this at St. X as a head coach, what would you say is the one loss that probably stings the most? If you think about a loss, it's probably the one that that rises to the top first. 2017 regional finals against, ironically, Tom Bolden's Coleraine Cardinals. We lost 21 to 14. And uh, the reason I say that one stings the most is that was the last game I would I would ever coach one of my own children. So my son Cameron was a senior that year. And uh, that was that was very painful to me because it, I don't know if it signaled the end of an era for me or it reminded me of my own mortality because this was the last time I was ever going to be able to coach my own flesh and blood. And that was that personally stung for me. Um, just because of that, not because we lost a game, because Colerain Tommy, I thought he had the best team in the state of Ohio that year, and we we were really good, and we had a chance, but it was just personally not knowing that was the last time I was ever going to see my son on the same field coaching him was that was hard. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of mortality, coach, last thing kind of turned back on there at the dash, right? How are you, you know, going to talk about when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions, would you be proud? You talked about in your book, turn that question back on you as a closing question. Would you, looking at your yourself in your eulogy, if you're you know, listening, would you be proud right now? Well, I, I guess I'm of the ilk that someone else is going to be reading my eulogy. Um, <laughs> You know, you'd like to think that you've done, you know, I want to leave this world better than I found it. That's that's my goal. I think leading a purpose-filled life is being able to leave it better than you found it. And and I'm going to leave that up to someone else to make that decision, Kyle. Uh, sure. You know, I, I've tried, I guess, what I try to impart to the kids I coach and I try to live it out my own day-to-day -day life is – is I, I want to take what God has given me and do the best I can with it. And, and at the end of the day, if I've impacted lives and made it better in different ways, then yeah, I think I've, I've spent my dash well, uh, but I'm the worst critic of my own self. I'm you know, coaches are tortured souls. It's never good and it's never enough. And I'm always looking uh, to get better and grow, but um, you know, God put us all here for a purpose, and I, I hope I left it better than I found it when all is said and done. Yeah, your humility is unbelievable. You're like, if St. X will have me back, you just want to stay championship. <laughs> this guy, unbelievable. I need to take some of this humility and this humbleness. I, I guess I, hopefully our relationship, that rubs off on me, Coach, because, man, I'm sitting there thinking, when you said that earlier in the podcast, I'm like, if St. X will have me back, did he just say that? He, he just, just wanted, said, though. He was a It's never enough. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You never do hold enough. yourself to a high standard. That's why you're elite. And uh, we really appreciate it, Coach, everything you're doing here in the Cincinnati community for St. X, the long blue line. You've impacted a lot of lives. You hear that from anyone who comes into uh, touch with you. Um, how can – I know uh, we love your website in any way that they can connect with you, how they can buy your book. How can they do that? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's for sale at Joseph Beth Bookstore right now in Rookwood. I know they we have it there. Or you go to my website, www.coachspect, and that's spelled S-P-E-C-H-T.com. Um, appreciate anything. I think if you're a fan of high school sport, if you're a fan of kids, really, if you're, it's I think it's a, a book with a lot of life lessons and, and a lot of really great themes, some great stories. Uh, great, great history of Cincinnati, Ohio as well. I think you'll enjoy it. But I thank, thank you guys for promoting the book. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on tonight, uh, today. This was fantastic. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we look forward to hopefully seeing you soon and uh, continue best of luck. Get some rest. I know the state championship, uh, long season with some of the challenges, but congratulations once again on another state championship. Coach Steve Speck, the incredible guest. Thank you very much. We yeah, appreciate you, Coach. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right, we'll talk to you.